I would like to just invite Mavis to come up and share. Um, just was talking to uh, Mavis uh, whilst I was in India. Just said, Mavis, would it be possible Mission Sunday to just tell us about what happened in Indonesia and just encourage us uh, in mission endeavour? So we have a PowerPoint and it's working. And thank you so much, Mavis, for sharing your heart. Well, it's good to be back. The weather's nicer there, but um, however, it is nice to be back amongst friends and family. And uh, today I'd like to share with you our trip, which was basically we were going to build a big storage shed and install four water tanks. And the people that came with us... um, I just like, if any of you are sitting there and saying, well, mission trip's not for me. Our eldest member was 80. He's Dr. Paul Mitchell, and he is a paediatrician, and he came to look at some of our children that were in need, but he also helped build the the, um, storage shed. And then we had uh, his son, Dr. Paul Mitchell, and he's uh, into prosthetics, is it? Yes. And then he, then we had uh, uh, Wally, who is a contractor, and then another man who deals in uh, parts for trailers and that, and uh, Susan, who been a friend for many years. She came to do a seminar with our... We have um, five kindergartens for, for, for poor people's children and she came to give a seminar to our teachers um, on uh, learning through play. And also they came to minister to the kids, particularly our teenage kids who... If you maybe have one or two, we have 17 of them, and they just needed a little tender, loving care. But And so we divided the girls up and the boys, and we had girl and boy talk with them, and we don't have many men there, and it was really good for our boys to have have them be able to speak with a, a male about various things that there for them and also in doing the work there we encouraged the boys when they were home from school to learn because they learned to weld and to put together the um, the shed and um, they came on another mission trip formally and they built this house for us for the dorm mum and dad that lived there And then um, uh, when we were getting everything together, we decided that we needed a budget of $10,000 to do everything that we wanted to do. And so we prayed together and everything. And three days before, uh, Susan rang me and she said, well, how much have you got? And I said, $500. And and I said, well, how much have you got? it's their church, and she said $500. And I thought, oh, well, you know, a miracle's got to happen. 
And then the day that I left, I left before because I had to buy up all the stuff. I can only say stuff because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know all the intricate things, but we got it done and somebody gave us $10,000 to do the project. And so um, here we see them. This is the place where the shed was going to be built. And they asked me what colour did I want it to be. And I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe silver and gold's a bit much. So <laughs> then so then I decided, well, maybe green would be nice because it would fit in with the environment. Our orphanage is in a beautiful place up in the hills and um, they, we have a lovely place for the kids. And so I decided on green, but the only the choice was green, red, or blue in the um, what do you call it um, color bond. And so I chose green, and you'll see it slowly go up. And that's uh, Wally, who is the contractor. He's teaching our kids, our boys, to do some practical work, and they help literally help build the the uh, shed. There, that's Mr. Rob, who um, is about six, six, seven, I think, high. So you can imagine he looked like a giant and they put on a drama of David and Goliath. And we practised and practised with this um, slingshot to hit him here in the head. We never, never made it, but on the day, on the day that the rehearsal, uh, the, the program went forward, this little girl sh um, shot the, well, it wasn't a stone, it was um, Play-Doh, and it hit him right there, <laughs> right there in the head. And uh, so, that, of course, the kids loved that. Next. Oh, there are some of the little kids. They're carrying the water for the cement and other things. Everybody that could walk helped. And there you can see it slowly going up in that very yucky green. But nevertheless, it looked quite nice when it was finished. And I'm not sure why that boy was wearing that, but um, it's a couple of our teenagers. And here we are, this is Susan in our um, seminar with the teachers. We, uh, we have, uh, all together we have five kindergartens and we have about 20 teachers that come down plus the staff that work with the, the kids, actually work with the kids. And in their sh various shifts they were all able to come. The, teachers uh, from Solo, because we have another orphanage in Solo, the teachers that came up from there and spent three days while we held the seminar. And here's Susan, she also taught the, the girls. We actually purchased before we left from Australia a couple of sewing machines and uh, Susan taught the uh, girls to sew, and I'm not sure whether we'll see some of their creations, but they were pretty good there, yes. Um, 
um, some of the dresses that we made and some of the crafts that she taught to the, the workers and the teachers that they could do with old uh, CD discs. And there are the guys back working on the shed. I tell you, it was very, very hot there. And uh, yet, as I said, um, Dr. Uh, Peter Mitchell, he's 80 years of age, so don't anybody say I'm too old to go. And he was working out there in the sun. Some of our kids. A couple more. And this one here. She has got the title of being the most mischievous kid in the place. Her name's Petra. Yeah. And there's Susan with some of the girls. We always encourage people to come and cuddle our children whilst we try to provide the very best for them. Sometimes they miss out on the cuddles they deserve. So there's our, one of our tanks that we put in and they literally laid on it and rolled it down the hill to the place where it was going to be put. And um, the boys helped. There's two of them that you can see there. And um, then this is uh, some of our staff. One of our, our girls celebrated her birthday and the... the um, the man that leads up our foundation, he put on a birthday party for the visitors and also for the girls, the girl that was celebrating her birthday. <coughs> this is my assistant, uh, Femi, on the on your left, and um, she does a wonderful job. I'm really, I've tra she was in my orphanage when she was small. And then we sent her to Australia to school for business management in TAFE for three years. And, but it was her choice. When she came back, I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to work with you. And so she has the vision. We don't ask people for money. We don't write newsletters asking people, anything like that. We just pray, just ask the... El Shaddai, because we, we have seen and proved that he truly is the great and mighty God who will supply our needs. And there we are with uh, some of the older ch kids. And this man in the black T-shirt, he's the one that heads up the foundation. And he's a lovely man. He came, and I should tell you about this. We have... Um, uh, a prayer, a prayer house on top of the mountain there and anybody can come there and pray at any time and uh, we went up there to show the, the visitors and they used the, um, oh, I forget the name, the but it's to call the people to pray and there's a 24-hour prayer chain going every day of the week. And there's some of our kids. And there's some very tired workmen. But, and these 
kids are all giving little thank you letters to the visitors who came. And, um, and there we are opening, that's Femi, my assistant, and myself opening the shed. It's eight metres by, eight, 8.4 by four metres. That's the team, and that's the kids. And I think that's it. Anyhow, thank you. There's some from here that said that they would be praying for us while we were in Indonesia, and we felt those prayers, and uh, we know that we were able to uh, meet all our goals because people... Uh, we're praying for us. We do believe that everybody has a part in the ministry and it may not be to go, but it definitely you can pray, you can give if that's your ministry, and you can just undertake for all that which is necessary to take the gospel forward. In, our, in my office, I have a thing there. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel Use words if necessary because it's usually by the things that we do that people will respond. And when we were establishing or wanted to establish one of our kindergartens, we went into this very, um, what will I say, very Muslim area and, the, and I asked the head of the village, will will you let us come in and establish a kindergarten to help your kids? Because in Indonesia, you have to have had one year at kindergarten before you go to primary school, and that's not provided by the government, and so we set up these um, various kindergartens, and I told the man that we wanted to come and help his children so that they could would be able to go to school, and... Um, Anyhow, he said to me, he said, you can come in, you can, I will give you half of my house to use for the kindergarten and I will also let you, if you want to, to come in and, and build your church here. Now, we had been trying for years to get into that particular area, but when we showed them that, that we cared and I said to him, you know, it's not me. I said, it's because of the love of Jesus that we want to do this for your kids. And he was just so won over and, and um, you know, really helped us to establish a kindergarten out there in one of the big villages. And so, what can I say? When are you coming? I mean, I didn't ask your pastor whether I could say that, but... Uh, <laughs> It doesn't have to be with me. It could be to India. It could be to Papua New Guinea. It could be to anywhere that God would send you. But you can all have a part in it. And maybe maybe one day the young people would like to come and have a, um, what do we call it, like a retreat but um, with, with our kids and just all mess in together and and be part of something there, and the biggest kid of all can come too and bring his wife. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. Anyhow, thank you very much. I know that Pastor Ben has something to say about India, so I'll give it to him. Lord, you continue to uphold it, to provide, to protect. Lord, I thank you for the vision, Lord, uh, that is within Mavis. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have given this to her and she has followed you and just uh, seen your mighty hand at work at every step. Father, we pray that that faith uh, being exercised, Lord, would encourage and inspire us to also trust in you and to go. Lord, uh, bless Mavis, bless the school, Lord, bless the kindergartens, the orphanage, the staff, the people involved. Lord, we thank you for your mighty hand. You are El Shaddai. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. I love talking to Mavis. It's just always encouraging and inspiring. Amen. Well, it is really good to be back in Australia. Um, when I got home, I just put shorts and a t-shirt on, and I, I didn't get out of my shorts and t-shirt. I, I just enjoyed being cold. Um, I, I really enjoyed being cold, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I, like the, I like the phrase, have a good hard look at yourself. And, and going to India, for me, that really sums up one of the one of the functions or one of the purposes that I experienced, I've, I got to have a good hard look at myself. You know, we, I have so much, but I don't have something of what they have. Does that make sense? That they have something that I, I, I tend to maybe not experience as, as, as much. And so I just want to share four reflections from the trip to India that I felt, that I experienced, and I pray that It'll encourage you and it will inspire you also. So today is Mission Sunday and these three young ladies, um, this is a lady called Purnima, she's the leader and then she has two staff, uh, Chubby, it's it's a great name, Chubby, um, but she's not Chubby, and Hannah. And uh, they're sitting in the kitchen area uh, at the place where they hold the school. The school that I went to is called Evangelos, International Training Institute, and it was in the capital city of Imphal, which is in a state in the northeast of India called Manipur. Um, an amazing, amazing place. I really loved this place. It's probably, it's probably, I'll probably go to Imphal before I went back to Darjeeling again. It was just an incredible place. Just got a short video clip to show. There's nothing worse than a 10-hour slideshow, so please, it's not going to be 10 hours. It's about two minutes, so thank you. Times we Oh, 
So Imphal is the state capital and this place of India is a bit of a melting pot. It's, it's got so many different faces and cultures and ethnicities. Uh, it's a real melting pot of all sorts of peoples from all sorts of places. And um, it's about half a million in the city itself. It's got a density of 643 per square kilometre. Just for some context, Adelaide is 400. Um, it's restricted travel, so there's not many tourists there which was brilliant. It was, the city was, was, was clean. It's, a, it's got a lot of Christian influence. The state above it is very Christian. And there's a lot of crisis. There's a lot of uh, trouble there. There's been wars for centuries. In World War II, there was a major battle fought there between the English and the Japanese. Um, and there's just constant, constant troubles there. But there's this amazing peace, even the traffic. I'm fascinated by Indian traffic, especially Indian traffic. I'm absolutely fascinated. I looked at the videos that I took. I'll be honest, I apologise. I bored my kids to tears with traffic videos. (laughs) And the way they manoeuvre, and there is no crash. It is unbelievable. It's all slow, but the way they just manoeuvre, if we did that in Adelaide, there would be punch-ups. I would be out of the... I wanted to get out of the car and, and... but they just kind of just kind of it's like an unorganized tetris board it just kind of works um so uh, this is a place where many nations have crossed through their area uh visiting on the way back to the airport uh when we were i was leaving info we went to the cemetery uh the cemetery that's looked after by the commonwealth and um i found this uh uh, RAF, Australian uh, Air Force pilot, who was uh, buried there. And people have sacrificed their lives in this place uh, for a long time. There's Japanese buried there, there's Australians, Canadians. People have travelled a long way from home to give their life in this area. And, and that, for me, summed up some of what I felt. There was this sacrifice that people made, not just only from the people who live there, but People who live there were from everywhere. Uh, Purnima, the leader there, she's originally from Nepal. There were people there from Burma or Myanmar. 
further across to Southeast Asia, there were people from uh, more West India, um, just different people groups everywhere. It was a melting pot of people. Uh, so um, uh, this, this man here was an Air Force pilot in, and uh, died in the battle at Imphal. It's called the Forgotten War of India. And to be honest, I'd never heard of it. And I, I like reading and learning about World War II history, but I'd never heard of this battle. So on the way over, I just began reading it and was just so surprised by how big it was and how significant it was for the campaign in India. Um, there, is very, there is a lot of trouble there. There is a lot of trouble there. There's, there's bomb blasts and university sit-ins. And when I was there, the cellular data on the phones was turned off. You could not use data. You could not use credit cards because all the credit card machines use cellular data. You could still make phone calls, but the text messages took a long time because they were monitored. There were IED explosions, and I haven't even told my wife this, but about 100 metres from where I was staying, there was an explosion. And I heard a big bang one morning, I thought, oh, crying out loud. <laughs> Rolled over and went to sleep, but uh, afterwards you realise that it was, a, was, a, was an IED exploding. So there's, there's, just, there's just trouble, yet there's this peace. It's the most unique place. I never felt unsafe or fearful at any stage. Um, and I'm, I'm just not you know, some big Aussie who thinks he's the king of the world. I just never felt that. I felt, I felt at peace. It was just very peaceful. They, they cancelled a couple of the school sessions and, and then they were back on again and they cancelled them and they were back on again. One time I came out of the hotel and the big roller shutters were all down because they were quite fearful. Um, yet the whole place is just, just really peaceful. It's, it's the most unique extremes that I've, I've felt there. Um, so they've, they've just constantly got trouble in that northeast part of India. Yet, um, at the local church, they are praising the Lord and singing like there is no tomorrow. This pastor here on the front, he's an amazing man. They're, I am like Gulliver over there, okay, uh, or Goliath. Not six foot seven, but they only come up to my shoulders and they could fit three of these people into me. One shirt could clothe a whole family. Uh, and they are tiny, they're absolutely tiny. But this pastor here, uh, he's not from the state, he's from a region far away, but he felt called to Imphal. So he just arrives and just started holding a Bible study group and reaching out to the, um, the community, and, and now there's a church there. He has 15 children, three of his own, and the other 12 are all boys, and they're his boys, they're his children. He looks after them, feeds them, cares for them, um, he has very little, but what he has, he gives. And what I was reminded about in this trip is it's not about how much you got, it's just a matter of whatever you have, that's what, that's, that's what you give from. That's, that's what you give from. So he, he was just a wonderful, wonderful man. His mother was dying of kidney failure and all sorts of trouble. So he had just pressures on all sides, uh, yet he didn't miss a beat. Just amazing man, amazing man. Just really blessed and encouraged. Such a pastoral heart. Um, there was easily over 100 people, maybe 150 people jammed in there. They were just jammed in there during church and Bible school. Uh, on the Sunday, we started at 8.30 and we, I left there at 4.30. So it was a good eight-hour shift of church. Um, you know, I don't think if we did that here, I'm pretty sure no one would be around. <laughs> there is this passion and fervour for the Lord. There is this desire and hunger for the Lord. 
uh, and it was just so encouraging. They run an education program um, and uh, just reaching out to their community in lots of different ways. It's just amazing. I just want to show this video clip. On the Friday night, it was fellowship night, so I took five blocks of chocolate with me. And I've got a special bag that I put it in to try and make sure it doesn't melt too much. I will be honest, I did consume a block myself. So I took five, four made it. I'll be honest, okay? I'll, I confess my sins to my brothers and sisters. I had a whole block. Yes, I did. And it was delightful. But we did share four blocks and we played the chocolate game. But I also, when I travel, and I don't know why, but there's these little toothpaste tubes of Vegemite. And there's just something about the saltiness of the Vegemite that I just love. And I've just learned to take my own crackers as well. So I take saladas because everything's full of sugar over there. So sometimes when I just feel like a snack, but I, I don't want to be tempted by the $6 amazing vegetarian curry with all the roti I can eat, um, I just get a salada and put some Vegemite on there. It's, it's just nice. It's just quick and easy and I can do it wherever I am and it's all good. But I thought, fellowship night, let's just test these boys out. So I got the tube of toothpaste, Vegemite, and I squeezed it into their mouths. And the challenge was for them to put it all over their teeth and get a, get a photo. Then they had to swallow it. So you can't quite see it, but their mouth is completely black and they are absolutely struggling with this horrid Vegemite in their mouth. They are really struggling. In fact, one of them, uh, that guy there, he, he, was, he was really strong. I called him Spartacus and Samson, depending on the day. Um, but he, he was a tough guy, but he was on his knees with this Vegemite. He vomited. He went straight to the window and then went out to the bathroom to get some water. He really struggled. So they really, they really love fun. They love embracing. What Mavis said about, about hugging and connection, they just, they just love that connection with others, connection with people. Love is universal, Amen doesn't matter what country you come from, there are some customs and culture that you need to be aware of, but in the end, love, love is something which God has placed within us forever. So I just want to share four ways that I was encouraged. Uh, the first passage of scriptures, I just want to give some scripture and then I'll just, uh, just reflect. This passage comes from 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And it's Paul speaking. He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan. I decided that while I was with you, I'd forget everything except Jesus Christ. Except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching was very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but the power of God. So my first Imphali encouragement, because I really felt encouraged in my heart, was that there is this overwhelming expectation. There is this overwhelming belief in the power of God. It's, it's, it's just present. It's there. It's not far from them. And in contrast to my life in Australia, I've, I've, in, in contrast, I thought, how much do I really rely on the power of God in my life? Have you thought about that? Just think of your day-to-day life. How much do you actually rely on, 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 on God's power? What is your expectation 
of God's mighty hand in your life in Australia, in Adelaide, tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm not saying it's nothing, but I'm saying in contrast to over there, it just felt to me comparatively smaller. Is that reasonable? I'm talking about me. I'm talking about anyone here. I'm just talking about me. I just found myself, in contrast, relatively smaller in expectation of God's presence and the working of His power. Over there, it was so obvious. And there's a commitment to prayer. There is such a commitment to prayer. They really believe that prayer makes a difference. They really believe in the power of prayer. They, they, they just, when there's a prayer meeting, they're all there praying. Prayer is not an, an optional add-on. Prayer is life. So I was absolutely encouraged by that. The second encouragement comes from some passages out of Exodus chapter 1, 6-7. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. So uh, Jacob and his sons had just gone down to Egypt to avoid famine. Joseph had an amazing story where he became 2IC Pharaoh. And the, the people of Israel are growing. And it said that all the brothers and all the previous generation had died, but the Israelites were still in Egypt. They didn't go back to Canaan. Compare that to Genesis eleven thirty one. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Interesting. The very next chapter is Genesis chapter 12. And we probably know that chapter much better than the back end of 11, where Abram gets the call to go to a place that God will show him, of course, that's Canaan. But why did they settle? Why, why, why did they stop? And so the, the, the second encouragement that I received was to not be put off by fear of failure, to not be put off by the fear of God not doing what he said he will do. You know, sometimes I wonder if we don't pray because we are worried that God might not heal. Or we don't hope because we're worried that God might not deliver. So for our own sake of our own hearts, we put God in a box that we think He can manage and then my faith won't be challenged in any way. Yet when I was an infall, I was reminded that God is responsible for what God's responsible for, I'm just responsible for obeying and following. I'm just responsible for praying for healing and having hope that God is still at work today as He was in the days of Scripture. That's what I'm responsible for. They have a very clear distinction of responsibilities. Yet over here, in contrast in my life, sometimes I feel like I want to take responsibility for what God's supposed to do. You, is that making sense? Do you, does that track? There is this genuine sense for them to go and push out. Yet there's a propensity for us to just maintain the status quo. We are comfortable with the status quo. Rarely do we want to change. To push out and go requires us to trust in the Lord and they just do it automatically. I was very encouraged by that. The third encouragement comes out of Song of Songs and Pastor Barry Silverback was sharing from this. Song of Songs chapter 7 verse 10, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. Speaking about God's desire towards us and for us. The psalmist expresses it this way in 80, uh, chapter 86 verse 13, for great is your love towards me 
You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Encouragement, the third encouragement is that God's love is towards me. God's love is towards me. God's love is towards you. So why fear anything? Why fear? In 1 John 4, it says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. You, you might have a passage in your head, something like, uh, God's love or perfect love casts out all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. John holds back no punches in that little verse. We read the first bit, we don't really read the second bit. And so if God's love is towards us, why do we fear? Why do we worry? Why do we have concern? Why do we allow the irritations of this life and this world to get within us and cause us to stress? Why? God's love is for us. God is for you. Do you you believe and enter into that? How do you go about reminding yourself of that? I was very encouraged by that because these people who I was with, I was just so humbled. They They are just so clear about God's love for them. They have so little. That's that's not the point. It seems harder for me who has so much more to really enter into God's love. It's interesting, isn't it? Maybe it's like me trying to fit through, you know, the eye of a needle. Maybe that whole uh, words of Jesus really come to play there. It's much harder for me to surrender because I have so much to surrender. It's much easier for them to just surrender because they don't have so much. Yet it's not about how much we have, it's about surrender. It's about understanding that God loves me and I surrender myself into His love. And if there's any fear, it's because I haven't really fully experienced His love. That's, that's what John says. So that's the third encouragement. The final encouragement is really uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 3 and 4. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. I was really encouraged to consider Jesus. I was encouraged to think about Jesus. Because as we talked with these students, uh, they would talk about the significant trials, the significant sacrifices that, that they've made. Uh, the base leader, Pernima, there, she's, she's had huge family issues for her to serve. She's made huge sacrifices. And, and whenever I sit and I had the chance to talk with them and encourage them, I sat there inside my own heart really being encouraged by them. Because they would simply say, you know what, I know I'm going through these pressures and I don't have the answers, but I know what Jesus went through on the cross. And somehow that's done something to me and I know that I can continue. I know that I can continue walking. I know that I can continue following. I know that because of what Jesus went through, I can continue on this path that he's placed me on. Wow, so simple. Nothing complicated about that. These four encouragements, there's no, there's no persuasive speech. There's no eloquent theological words and categories that, that are up there. It's just simple and straightforward, relying on the power and the presence of God. So I had a wonderful time ministering. Uh, every day there was teaching and, and, and preaching and I just got the chance to sit with the teams and just encourage them. But I'll be honest with you, I came back completely encouraged, completely built up. 
There's something of their humility and of their reliance on God that just touched me. And I am so blessed for going and I'm totally addicted to their roti and naan bread. I'm having withdrawals as we speak. It is unbelievable. Um, So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for um, uh, praying and uh, and it was just a very blessed time um, and it was just a great opportunity to be able to continue to pray for them. Would you pray for Info? Would you pray for some of those people you saw? These are some of the areas that we actively support and um, we're just going to just close in prayer now and then we'll head out for uh, some uh, morning tea. But just as we pray, I, d- I just wonder if you would have the courage to ask the Lord to lay, lay something upon your heart, lay an area upon your heart. I mean, Mavis said, you know, just pray, just prayer, knowing prayer support. Maybe you feel in your heart to go. I met a lady from Papua New Guinea. She was the wife of uh, Pastor Kilawari, and she said, oh, Ben Benithan. said, do you know Nick Shahadi? I said, I do know Nick Shahadi. She said, I know Nick. He came to Papua New Guinea. He said, many years ago. And I said, really? And then I remembered Nick talking about that. I said, yeah, I reckon he did tell me about that building stuff. He said, yeah, yeah. He was a good guy. But then she started rattling off stuff and but she, she recalled you coming and she told stories fondly of the fellowship and the connection and what was done there. Um, and, and so, you know, when we go, uh, they are blessed by us coming. And there's always the debate, the everlasting debate of, well, maybe I shouldn't spend, you know, $2,000 going over there. We should just give it in missions. Have you heard that debate before? You heard the discussion? Well, sometimes you just have to break the alabaster box. Sometimes you just have to break the perfume open because, I mean, what I experienced going there, I'm just so blessed and encouraged. And they were so blessed and encouraged. I think God is not about one or the other. I think God's about both, amen? I think we have enough to do both. I think we have enough to give and enough to go. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. We have everything. I have a shower that's so hot and so beautiful. We have roads with traffic lights that work. And as soon as I got home, I have data on my phone, just fast data. But all that pales into nothing when it comes to Jesus and his call to go. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us, Lord, that we might be inspired to trust in you more, that we might be encouraged, Lord, to look to you, that we might follow in your footsteps and go. Lord, that we might pray, that we might stand with those who do go in prayer and pray for them often. That, Lord, we would not allow our life to consume us completely. Rather, Lord, we would allow you to consume us. That we might live for you wholeheartedly. That, Lord, on that day when we um, meet you in the sky, Lord, we would hear those words, faithful servant. Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to be your disciples. Help us to carry on the work that you laid out for us to do. Lord, as we heard today, Father God, we pray that, Lord, we might truly abide in the vine, that we might truly bear fruit, that we might allow ourselves to be pruned by the Master Gardener so that the very best fruit can come forth. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful church. Lord, I thank you for 
the history, Lord, but Father, I thank you, Lord, for what is to come. Lord, I thank you for the future, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what is to be accomplished and the plans that you have. Lord, bless each person here as we now go and share and encourage one another to trust you more every day. In Jesus' name, amen.